Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Real Ramblin'. My name is Chris Jovanovic, and I want to thank you for choosing this podcast, choosing to listen to this guy uh, just ramble about movies and life for a little while. It's November, which means two things. Number one, October came and went, and I did not release an episode. Shame on me. Number two, Thanksgiving at the time of this recording is this Thursday. Um, So I want to wish you all a safe and memorable holiday. I can't wait. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. Um, And I know it's not all about the food, or maybe it shouldn't be, but I'm excited to put some dishes together this year. Uh, Honestly, that's my favorite part, is just cooking things and sharing food. Uh, This year, I will be putting together a couple of side dishes, including roasted Brussels sprouts and asparagus. And um, what else am I making? Let's see. Oh, broiled broiled bacon-wrapped dates. Mm. Um, But it's about the movies, too. What uh, what movie journeys have you taken recently? Or maybe what movies do you plan to watch throughout the remainder of this month, throughout November? Uh, is it time to break out the Christmas movies already? That's the big question, right? The, I think the general consensus is uh, folks begin decorating and putting the music on as early as this coming weekend. Um, so why not the movies as well, I suppose? Uh, let's not forget, however, that there are a couple of motion picture gems saved for Thanksgiving. We don't have to jump straight to the Christmas holiday movies. Um, I'm thinking Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. Uh, Free Birds. Have you heard of or watched the movie Free Birds? It came out, I don't know, maybe six years ago or so. I think Owen Wilson does the voice of one of the turkeys in it. Anyway, if you've never seen it, you're probably better off. (laughs) I've watched the movie once, and I think once was enough for me. Uh, I will say it It made me laugh occasionally, thinking back, um, but that was like few and far between, in, in between long periods of this movie just turning my brain into mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, <laughs> last but not least, in the realm of Thanksgiving movies, um, for those who didn't get enough horror at Halloween and you want to bring some of that into the upcoming holiday, uh, there is a movie lost somewhere in the, the myriad of low-budget B-movies. It's called Thanks Killing. Um, yes, that is actually the title. And you guessed it. Plot-wise, it's The Turkey Gets Revenge. Uh, well-crafted plot, indeed. Yeah. In actuality, I do not recommend this title to anyone, um, except maybe to, I don't know, watch it for five minutes for a novelty laugh, but, um, it's horrible. I first came across it with some friends, uh, back in college. It was in the early days of Netflix when, Streaming was fairly new, and there were Netflix, you know, was just trying to fill out the queue with uh, as many options as possible. I don't think, looking back, I don't think we even made it halfway through that movie, but um, thanks, killing. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> back to the present. I'm grateful to say that I've watched a handful of films recently that are not thanks, killing, and uh, are for the most part, more engaging or, at the very least, worth discussing. So, uh, first up, Enola Holmes 2. Um, what's there to say about this film? Really, it's it's good and fun. It's good fun. If you liked the first Enola Holmes, you'll probably enjoy the sequel. If you didn't catch the first Enola Holmes but watched this one, well, um, that's kind of odd, but okay. If you've seen neither of these films but enjoy a good Sherlock Holmes story, uh, you should watch either or both of these movies as there's plenty of um, that good old Sherlock Holmes stuff in them. Excitement, mystery, drama, humor, all that. Um, Because Enola Holmes 2 is obviously a sequel, 
I would want to talk about it like it's a sequel and kind of compare it to the first. But strangely, it, it to me, it didn't feel like the film held a lot of connecting thread from the first one outside of the main characters. Uh, and in a way, that's positive, right? Because then you really could just watch and enjoy this movie without needing a lot of background. Um, I think both have about the same amount of action and they both really have the same sort of feel. Um, so consistency-wise, um, I think both movies did great with having the same kind of pacing, uh, the same costume and sets, um, and then similar overall story beats with the mystery at the center of it all unraveling. So a um, couple of areas in which I think Enola Holmes 2 does move the needle in an interesting way would be uh, the fact that in the beginning of this story, uh, Enola has started her own detective agency. And despite this fact, uh, she seems to rely on her brother Sherlock a lot more uh, in comparison to the first. So I liked that. Um, it's just, yeah, again, Henry Cavill, Millie Bobby Brown playing off of each other. I loved their sibling banter. But then at the end of the day, they proved to need each other more than perhaps either would really admit. Um, also seeing the needle move forward in terms of building the franchise. So near the end of this movie... Um, we were introduced to a couple of different names that are very familiar to anyone with a moderate level of uh, exposure to Sherlock Holmes stories. So that was kind of an exciting tease of looking forward to where and how it will all presumably resume uh, in the next movie. So overall, I had a great time with this one. Uh, my wife and I watched and enjoyed both Enola Holmes movies together, one and two, uh, which is always a great thing. Um, because it's it's not too common that my wife and I are paths cross when it comes to preference and taste in movies. So I always appreciate when uh, we can sit down and watch one together and enjoy it. Uh, of course, Millie Bobby Brown bringing this fun character to life is one of the highlights for sure. Uh, not to mention Mr. Cavill and Helena Bonham Carter, uh, just to name a few. Just great cast and performances overall, leaving me with a fun and memorable experience, I think. Uh, even on you know, watching it on a smaller screen on Netflix. So good job, cast, and thank you. Uh, thank you to Harry Bradbeer and Jack Thorne for writing and directing, respectively. Uh, I give Enola Holmes 2 a 3 out of 4 reels. Very enjoyable and rewatchable. On to The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, I, can, I can count on my fingers the number of works of Shakespeare uh, that I've been exposed to in my lifetime so far, with varying degrees of exposure, but nonetheless, um, most Shakespeare I've read, and I guess I owe that to my middle and high school careers, the fact that most Shakespeare has been, you know, reading it in a book or whatever. Um, Romeo and Juliet, I think of Hamlet, Taming of the Shrew, Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, parts of The Tempest, parts of Macbeth. In college, I had this, uh, it was like a 200-level comp and rhetoric class, and my professor was obsessed with Shakespeare. Um, so we ended up reading The Merchant of Venice, and we had to pick it apart until there was nothing left and then write about it. Um, that, was, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Anyway, um, and I've seen a couple of live productions, but in terms of film, I have seen only a few. I've seen Hamlet, uh, the couple different versions. The Mel Gibson rendition is better. Sorry, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Ophelia with Daisy Ridley and Clive Owen, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, no matter what the, 
you know, a majority of opinion was it, it didn't get great reviews. There was a lot of anti-feminist complaining and just people not enjoying the creative liberty of direction that the story went and all that. I really enjoyed it. I appreciated that they at least tried to, um, even though it did change the story by the end of it in Ophelia, they tried to come up with some kind of happy ending. And I like that. But uh, seeing as I hardly remembered anything about this story, uh, Macbeth, other than the witches, I was really intrigued when I first saw this trailer. Uh, it's all black and white. You know, it's A24. It's got style to it for sure. I was excited for Denzel, ready to dive in. Um, so I just watched this uh, yesterday, actually. And my overall take is that I, I think this this film scores big with artistic style, no surprise there, and compelling acting, same thing. Um, but I really... If it were not for these attributes, I don't know if I would have survived the whole watch, I'll be honest. Um, so here's the rub. The, the plot and dialogue are entirely in Shakespearean English, um, which makes sense. At times, I have to say this was kind of cool. It was like charming and poetic, um, like in scenes where Macbeth or his wife was giving an inner monologue out loud, right? Uh, in fact, there's a scene near the beginning in which the title character, Macbeth, reflects on what it would take to become king, uh, which includes like the fulfillment of this big prophecy. And his line is, If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me without my stir? Come what come may, time and the hour runs through the roughest day. Or basically, if destiny would have me be king, then destiny will do the dirty work. Um, and as he's delivering the line, the camera uh, zooms in just beyond him uh, to the inside of his tent, and then you hear his man outside executing basically an important guy that starts to set his destiny in motion. It's really effective, so that was cool. Um, but then there are a lot of other scenes that reminded me just how frustrating and inefficient this Shakespearean way of speaking really is. Uh, something like, again, near the beginning, like two characters greeting each other and asking about news from a battle. Um, that should not take eight and a half minutes for these two people to have that, that short conversation. Um, it's like I, <laughs> over and over, I, I kept hoping in desperation that uh, Kevin Malone from The Office would show up to save the day. Why waste time, say lot word, when few word do trick? Um, so there was a point about 30 minutes in when I thought, should I keep going here? And I'm proud to say that rather than give up, I grabbed some online spark notes and powered through the rest of the runtime for the movie, and I'm glad I did. Uh, the, the climax of the story is exciting, and again, it looks great. Um, would I watch this again anytime soon? Probably not, but I definitely don't regret taking some time to check it out. <sighs> Alas, if nothing else, t'was but a tempting of fate that my eyes should rest upon the glory of not one, but two actors in the film from the Harry Potter franchise. That was that was my biggest takeaway, honestly. Mad-Eye Moody and Cousin Dudley on screen together, that's a win. Uh, give me that series on HBO Max, please. Little did we know that uh, Mad-Eye Moody survived the events of uh, the Deathly Hallows, and now he's renting a flat with Dudley Dursley and uh, grumbling about, I don't know, laundry being left everywhere. I would love that. Um, so the tragedy of Macbeth, if you're into Shakespeare... You've probably watched this already, but if not, for some reason, check it out. I give it two out of four reels. And now we're on to the real tragedy. Who remembers when Jurassic Park was entertaining? Anyone? 
Okay, now chances are our hands are starting to slowly raise as you're struggling to think of anything other than maybe 1993's original Jurassic Park. Perhaps it's mainstream to complain about this nowadays, I get it, but it's true. Uh, no other installment in this franchise, in my opinion, has successfully brought the kind of things we loved about the original, right? The, the kind of whimsy, suspense, and story, uh, let alone just be memorable on a large scale outside of a scene or two. And maybe it's not fair to compare them all like that, seeing as the source material never really went beyond two books from Michael Crichton, right? But I think, I mean, it seems that source material actually has little to do with it. After all, the beloved 1993 film is very loosely, and I mean very, tethered to Michael Crichton's original book. Um, it's, it's actually, I would say, almost unrecognizable from the book. And yet, the original Jurassic Park movie remains just as enjoyable in its own way. Maybe not as thought-provoking as the novel, but a solid blockbuster that continues to hold up. Um, it delivers legitimate humor, terror, uh, characters we actually care about, placed in a script that works. Um, and then, you know, if we follow the progression of these movies, each installment just gets more and more ridiculous and, I think, less and less memorable um, until we come to where we are now, the supposed end uh, to all of it in this year's Jurassic World Dominion. This movie's fresh in my mind. I just watched it a few days ago. Easily the worst out of the trilogy, maybe even the entire franchise. It's not just a bad movie, it's a slap in the face to my intelligence because it's clear that the executives, the producers, whoever you want to pin this on behind this project thought that, you know, like smoke and mirrors could distract from just the absence of any kind of plot. Um, it simply did not work. If you're going to try to uh, tug at nostalgia and bring back the original cast, that being Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum, as doctors Alan Grant, Ellie Sadler, and Ian Malcolm, you have to at least have some kind of uh, purpose, I think, for their reappearance. And the integration here was just, it was anything but seamless. They literally had to genetically engineer locusts with, you guessed it, Dino DNA, to have something for the legacy characters to do. And no, bringing in more or different kinds of dinosaurs was not the answer. This franchise has tried that, remember, for several movies now. It's not interesting anymore. Um, you know, I, I think this film could have been interesting, though, and that's what's so sad to me. If, if there's anything that uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom did right, that was the movie right before this one, uh, it was destroying the island, getting the dinosaurs into our world, and then kind of introducing this what could be intriguing subplot of human cloning and how does that kind of fit into the rest of the story. And although uh, that was another weak movie, the, the previous installment, I think, it did set the stage for what could have been a, a decent close to all of it with Dominion. Um, but no, you, you had more characters introduced, another island facility, and virtually nothing done to progress the cloning idea. So th this movie just did not know what to do with itself from, from start to finish, and it was just flat-out boring. Numerous scenes had dinosaurs just kind of there, uh, fighting each other and not really interacting much with the main heroes and therefore the audience, right? Because it's through the the main characters that we kind of feel the, the terror or the excitement or whatever. Um, I, 
thinking back, I mean, I can give credit to one scene that I can think of that was cool looking, kind of a suspenseful chase. And that was the uh, like the gray and red feathery Cretaceous raptor thing on the ice. I don't remember what the specific name of the dinosaur was, but it was really cool looking. It only lasted, though, for, I don't know, like, what, 30 seconds? I wanted more of that. Um, and even then, it's it's generous calling that scene suspenseful. Uh, as you know, both of these people are going to survive, so it doesn't really work like that. That's really another trademark that separates the original from all of these that have come after. You know, in 1993, any of the people you've spent time with throughout the story on screen could get eaten, uh, <laughs> or at least injured, Right, and and now it's just the extras, really. Ugh, Jurassic World Dominion. Went wrong in so many ways, so sad. It gets one out of four reels from me. That's my review. Um, I believe that may be the first time I've given a movie such a low ranking. Uh, and again, it's not because it's a, a bad movie, but because the pieces were set to at least like land this franchise plane, no matter how bumpy it got, and instead it was just laughable. Um, clearly the movie did not even tip the hat to the generation that grew up with Jurassic Park like like I did. And I would argue that it doesn't even hold up for this generation's dino lovers because you barely had any memorable dinosaur sequences. So it begs the question, who was this movie for? Someone let me know, please. Um, and maybe am I just being too harsh, too cynical? Maybe. Anyway, uh, those are a handful of movies that I've watched recently. Um... Enjoyed some of them and not so much others, um, but uh, how about you? Let me know. And a quick fun question before I wrap up and log off this episode and uh, start getting ready for Thanksgiving festivities. Here it is, your fun question. You have to invite one of the following guests to your Thanksgiving meal this week. Who will it be? Your choices are Dr. Ian Malcolm, The Witch from Macbeth, or Enola Holmes. Think about that while you're waiting for guests to arrive. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for hanging out and listening to me ramble. Uh, please continue to listen to and share these conversations with friends and family. Find, follow, and interact with Real Ramblin' on social media. Or if you'd like to send me an old-fashioned email, that's realramblin' at gmail.com. Keep watching, talking about, and loving movies. Have a safe and fun holiday, and I will see you soon. Bye.